Welcome to Excel 360 Leadership Podcast, building world-class leaders one conversation at a time. Let's join our host, executive leadership coach, coach trainer, and business consultant, Christina Lee. Hello, my name is Christina Lee, and I am your leadership coach, and I am excited about today's topic. I think today I am just going to freestyle, because there's a a topic that is heavy on my heart, and I've been toying around with this topic for a while now, and the, the topic is incarnational leadership. Incarnational leadership. I developed this this topic or this concept as I was coaching a friend of mine uh, several weeks ago. And we were talking about how to attract people to attend his church. But in addition to that, we were talking about how do we get leaders, people who have been called, to wrap their heart and their mind around the vision? How do we get people to be so connected to God's purpose in their church that we really start a movement? I'm always fascinated by the fact that Jesus never wrote a best-selling book during his lifetime. He he didn't podcast. Matter of fact, he He never traveled more than 100 miles from uh, his birth city. And the fact that here we are in 2018, still worshiping and loving and honoring, uh, and someone who was born and came into uh, physical existence in his humanity in the first century, That's amazing to me that the 12 leaders that Jesus developed, he spent three years of his life connecting with them, doing life with them, eating with them, ministering and worshiping with them, teaching them in three years. And after he ascended back into heaven, course, prior to that, he went to the grave and he got up three days later and walked the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights. And, and, and the apostle Paul gives an account that over 500 people uh, were an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. And, and then he ascends back into heaven. And these apostles that he had taught and did life with for only three years, 36 months, that, that these guys were able to uh, not only carry the message of faith and the cross, but, 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 but centuries after their death, decades after their death, we are still honoring, uh, we are podcasting, we are worshiping uh, this risen Savior named Christ. That is an amazing an amazing leadership principle when we think about the fact 
that there are people in our history that we have no idea of what they've done unless we look them up and read about them in encyclopedias or Wikipedia. But, but Jesus is someone. Matter of fact, Jesus is so powerful that, that in most workspaces, we can't even say the name of Jesus because people are people who have not accepted them as Savior. They tremble. They, they, they get upset when we, we use this name because Jesus is so powerful. So, so how did Jesus, how did Jesus transfer this, this level of leadership to the apostles? I mean, I think that it's something that we need to really think about, we need to really talk about because we're somehow we're missing the boat in our local churches because we have folk who come who aren't uh, attentive, who are here today and, and gone tomorrow. There's no commitment. Um, you have more people in the seats or in the pews uh, than you have serving in the local church. And it seems as if the church has kind of hung out on this 80-20 rule where 80% of the people do nothing and 20% of the people in the church are, are trying to move the vision and the mission that God has downloaded to the senior pastor. So I, I really wanted to spend some time today talking about the incarnational leader. And so I got this principle because I, as I theologically thought through this process of the Trinity, that, that, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are eternal, that they have no beginning and they have no end. They are the uh, uncaused causer of all things that have been caused. The, and, and when I think about the fact that, that, that in heaven they, they, they entertained each other uh, from eternity, but at some point, in order for a dying world to be redeemed, the only sacrifice that would be perfect enough to cleanse us of our sins uh, was Jesus. And so, so, so divinity became wrapped in flesh and came through the vehicle of a woman and had a birth, therefore making him the God-man, fully human and fully divine. Now, this is, this is what's interesting, that, that heaven had already had a plan in eternity to redeem mankind. You, you must understand that Adam and Eve, uh, uh, they did not trick God up. Uh, God was fully aware uh, in his omniscience of what would happen in the garden. And I suggest to you that the, the, the plan of redemption, that, that the seed of a woman would crush the head of a serpent, I, I believe that, that that was already formulated from eternity and that in God's appointed time, he would send his son and, and, and in doing so, Jesus became in the flesh the vision of heaven, of the Trinity to redeem a dying world. And, and so this incarnated leader, this God-man takes on the vision of heaven, and the vision of heaven was for Jesus to go to the cross and die for our sins. Now, now I know that Jesus did a lot of things while he was on earth. Uh, he healed the blind man. He, 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 he was able to, to uh, restore 
uh, 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 life into Lazarus. Uh, he changed water into wine. There were so many different miracles that Jesus performed. He helped the woman who was bent over uh, uh, be able to, to stand up and have her rightful place. He took care of the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus did many miracles, but that wasn't necessarily the purpose of why Jesus was on assignment. The miracles uh, were purpose to point back to the deity and to who, who Jesus was to establish a truth claim that he was the son of God. Now, his purpose was to die. His purpose was to die, and, and on the third day, he would rise again with all power in his hand. Now, when I think about our purpose, how do we walk in our purpose? Because in the book of John, uh, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, listen, you're going to do greater things than I. And what Jesus was saying is that in his humanity, he could only be in Judea he couldn't be in Judea and in Galilee at the same time. In other words, he was saying, when I depart and the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life, Sam may be in Sacramento and Kathy may be in Fairfield and someone else may be in Richmond, Virginia. And because all three of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. They then are able to minister in three different places, being three different people at the same time. And so as we think about our leadership role in being this incarnated leader, I, I came up with a couple of things that I thought would start a movement. What, what would start a movement? What, what needs to happen? for us to start a movement of growing our churches, of, 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 of taking back what the enemy is trying to steal and has stolen in many cases. Well, the first thing I think is this. You first have to be passionate about the gospel. Uh, if you're going to start a movement of incarnational leadership, you, you have to be passionate about the gospel. The gospel message of Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection, it has to mean something to you. It, it has to have value to you. you. You have to remember when Christ saved you and how precious that moment is. That The gospel is something that we should share with people. I, I, get, I get tickled because uh, many people will tell you that they don't have the gift of evangelism. So therefore, they don't share their faith. But isn't it amazing that if they're giving away uh, uh, merchandise or free gas or, or whatever it may be at our local stores or our malls, that as quiet and as shy as we are, many of us have no problem with articulating to others, even if they're strangers, uh, what's going on at our local mall. If, if we saw a burning building and we were walking down the street, uh, it is just our natural instinct to yell fire. Uh, or to make certain that we get the proper people or call the fire department so they can help the people who may be in danger. But why isn't it that we don't have an instinct to preach 
and, and, and share the gospel. Well, part of it is because uh, the, the carnality, the carnal, the carnal nature of us uh, doesn't want us to expose truth, doesn't want us to share the gospel. So uh, the, the enemy tries to make it seem as if, well, that's not your gift, so you, you don't have to worry about that. Let your pastor preach on Sunday morning. That, that's what church is for. But no, if you're going to be a leader, an incarnational leader, you must be passionate about the gospel. You, you, you must be willing to share the gospel in such a way that you can almost see, you can almost see people coming to Christ. Now, the next thing I think in order to have a movement of incarnational leadership, I believe that we need to be passionate uh, about God's people. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we need to be passionate about God's people and we need to be willing to feed the sheep. Matter of fact, you, you need to love God's people in such a way that you walk away smelling uh, stinky just like sheep. Did you know that sheep, it is their natural bend to waddle in dirt, to waddle in mess? And, and, and we are symbolically considered sheep. And that is a pretty appropriate terminology for us uh, as, as, as humans uh, because many of us, our lives are filthy. And we are in need of a shepherd who can shepherd us back to the right place and to govern us, give us accountability, to, to, to give us instruction, and to help keep us from hurting ourselves. Do you realize that if the sheep does not have a shepherd, they're endangered uh, of, of being hurt and hurting themselves? This is what I say to leaders. You have to love God's people in such a way that you smell like sheep by Chanel number five. Like that's your favorite perfume, that you're amongst filthiness so much that you start to smell your favorite cologne, your favorite perfume is, is sheep by Chanel number five. So we have to be passionate passionate about God's people. Number three, I think we have to be passionate to the call. Each one of us, when we were um, birthed into the community of Christ because we accepted him in the pardon of our sins, we then were given ministry gifts. All of us have spiritual gifts, and we are all mandated to utilize those gifts. Just because uh, we're in the body of Christ and we are now saved, that doesn't afford us an opportunity to sit in the pew and to do what we want to do and, and allow other people to exercise their gifts while we suck up the anointing from the pastor, suck up all the air condition or all the heat, take space in the sanctuary. No, the incarnational leader understands that every Sunday, not only am I to get a word from my pastor, but I'm also to posture myself in a way of serving. I really believe if, if, if we understood uh, the importance of us activating our ministry gifts, we would show up different as a church on Sunday morning. Matter of fact, if we understood our call to ministry, because many people think that the call to ministry is 
preaching or pastoring. No, that's not true. The call to ministry is when you get saved and give your life to Christ, as you go through good discipleship training and you're learning God's word and you're learning how to live uh, as a Christian and you're growing from glory to glory to glory, there should be something instinctive that, that, that says, because of what he's done for me, I have a deep desire to do that for someone else. So the same door that was held open for you is the same door you're now holding open for someone else. So I think there are three things. So let's cover our three things again. If we're going to have a movement of incarnational leadership, first of all, we have to be passionate about the gospel. Secondly, we have to be passionate to God, about God's people. And third, we have to be passionate uh, to the call. Now, how do we how do we do this? How do we formulate that? Because I think it's 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 deeper than us just understanding those three three points. Because so I want to talk a little bit now. I want to transition to how do we how do we demonstrate uh, the gospel? How do we demonstrate our passion to God's people? And how do we demonstrate our calling? Well, first of all, the, the, the biggest component of this is discipleship. And so I, as I was sharing with a friend of mine uh, around this recently, I, I came up with, with four things that I think that the incarnational leader, uh, after they've embraced the, embraced the three tenets, the gospel, the people, and the call, I believe there are four things uh, that they need to do regularly as an incarnated leader. First of all, first of all, we need to have powerful discipleship and coaching conversations with people in our lives. We need to talk it out. That's right. We need to talk to people. We need to love people. We need to encourage people. We should have uh, a component of our life where we are discipling other potential leaders to grow and develop so that they can then take the mantle that you have and do that in the life of other people. Now, I'm not talking about you need to go and start a church and break off from your pastor. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that you need to posture yourself to live a life of discipleship. In the text, we often see Jesus stealing away with the disciples having powerful conversation with them, asking powerful coaching questions. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks the disciples a very powerful, open-ended coaching question. Who do men say that I am? And of course, they had all of these different uh, analogies and concepts that they came up with. And then Jesus asked a ownership question. He says, who do you say that I am? See, it wasn't important so much about what the world was saying, but what was most important was what the disciples or the apostles were saying because they were the ones that he was training up to carry out this message. And in a short while, he would then be going to the cross and the burden of responsibility would be on them to be able to facilitate this and share this with the dying world. And I attest to you that they got it. 
because the gospel has found its way to you and it has found its way to me. Now, what happens once we do good discipleship, good teaching? Now, now we have to demonstrate it. You know what Jesus would do? Jesus would teach a principle and then Jesus would go out and he would perform the principle and show them. He would talk to them. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? He had a conversation with them about where are we going to get the food? Uh, how do we, let's come up with a remedy. And he, he asked people in the book of John, he asked some questions and, and, and they were sharing. Well, Jesus, we don't have enough to, to feed all of these people. And, and Jesus decides that the best way to demonstrate how to strengthen their faith is to do it in front of them. So Jesus feeds the multitude of people and not only did he feed 5,000 plus women and children, he had 12 baskets that he was able to divide amongst the 12 of them as, as a symbolic symbolism of, of showing that he is able to supply their needs, that, that your faith, not only did I supply the needs of the people, but it pointed to him as being the deity. It pointed to him of being uh, uh, the, the, the good shepherd. It pointed to him as being Christ, the son of God. So, so, so Jesus often demonstrated, well, what are some things that we can demonstrate to others? Well, we, we can simply demonstrate uh, uh, how we treat people in the body of Christ. I think that that as we are discipling people and talking to people, we need to uh, walk the walk the talk. Uh, we, we need to make sure that we are doing what we have asked others to do. So I can't disciple you and, in serving, and I'm not serving. See, I can't disciple you in tithing, and I'm not tithing. I can't disciple you and say that you need to be at church on Sundays, and I'm not at church on Sundays. So we have to be a demonstration. I can't disciple you and talk about how important uh, winning souls for Christ uh, is, and I'm not trying to win souls for Christ. So, so there's a demonstration that we must uh, be willing to 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 provide uh, as we walk it out. So the first thing we're going to talk it out, we're going to disciple, and then the next point we're going to walk it out, we're going to demonstrate it, and then we have this watch and learn, this role play. Sometimes we we need to just kind of have a role play with people and 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 set some time aside where they're watching us in small group settings, and they're taking notes, and they're learning from us, and then we give them an opportunity to carry out that same task. So, so that may look like a small group where I may be the lead facilitator, and I say to the person in whom I'm discipling, you know what, I would love for you to study these two scriptures, and tonight I would like for you to share uh, a little impartation to the group and so that we can encourage you and to develop your ministry gifts and to strengthen you in that area. See, see, it's, it's nothing wrong with people watching us and we staying in the demonstration, but we got to move from demonstration to watch and learn because as they watch us and they learn from us, they can then impart that same principle in the lives of others. And then the last thing that's important is that we let them execute it. 
At some point, we let go of their hand and we allow them to execute the very thing that they have learned. We, we develop them and we raise them up to be able to go out on their own, to talk it out with others, to walk it out and demonstrate with others, to do their own watch and learn so that they can execute leaders and that process of multiplication will continue. Now, that is important. I can't tell you how important that is. Now, When you are working as an incarnational leader, you always want to make sure as we close that you get the feedback from the person you're developing. Why? Because once you get feedback, you then can understand what areas you need to sharpen and what areas you need to tailor. You need to ask the person, what, what are your takeaways? What, what, what did you learn? What did you learn? And, and once the person can articulate what they can learn, the last component is this. Ask them what their buy-in or their commitment level is. What will I do? What will I do? Because I have experienced you Loving Christ so deeply in my life, it has moved me to want to walk in the same vein. Matter of fact, I am so excited because your excitement and your love for Christ and your love for God's people has been so contagious that it has lit a fire in my heart. And now I can establish my call and I can unleash this movement in the lives of people around me. Well, my time is up. I thank you for yours, and I'll see you at the top. Thank you for listening to Excel 360 Leadership Podcast. If you would like to know more about how we're building and equipping world-class leaders one conversation at a time, follow us on the web at Paradigm360Consulting.com or drop us a line at info at P360Coach.com. With that said, our time is up. We thank you for yours, and we'll see you at the top.